Hey everybody, welcome back to the Hunt Podcast. This is episode 64. We're uh, we're here. We're ready to go. We're excited. We are... Uh, Christian is joining us live from, yeah, from the, the doctor. No. Um, delivery Yeah, because he's posted on Instagram. It's it's so sh- it's it's uh, public now. Uh, Christian and his wife, Gabby, had their um, baby. And um, I th- mean, I think they're all doing well. They posted on Instagram and Facebook, so... I assume that means yep. everyone's doing well. I saw well, a picture so. of him holding that baby. He looked like a natural. Yeah, I'm telling you. Um, he looked nervous, so I feel like his palms were sweating a little bit. Um, <laughs> mine weak. still do. Yeah. Arm spaghetti. Um, but, yeah, so we brought in our good friend Dustin. He's back, uh, golfer, farmer, teacher, um, back with us today. Not in that order necessarily. Um, but we are looking forward to continuing our discussions on Genesis as we're going to be going through the flood narrative today. Um, but before we get to that, how you guys doing? Doing well. Glad to be with you guys again. I always enjoy whenever I get to come on and uh, be a part of it. So I'm excited and ready to get going. Word. Garrett, cat got your tongue or... I'm just... I, uh, Are you reading the Enduring Word Bible commentary? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm actually reading How to Read Genesis by Tremper Longman. It's an interesting like He's a Tremper Longman, I would love how do, to How read. can you read about something that teaches you how to read? Because if you don't know how well, to read, it's that's not, the most it's, Garrett thing. It's of all just time. called <laughs> How to Read Genesis. What if it's, we had a book that was just like called okay. How to Read? It's like that yeah. feels like yeah. you either don't need to read it or you can't read it. <laughs> yeah. I just had deja vu, that was weird. Was it about one of your uh alternate realities? No. Well, I feel like I'm we not, shouldn't go into it because you're yeah, hesitating. So it's <laughs> definitely not what we should go into. So, um, Tremper, I just want to say, like, Tremper, shout out to Tremper if you're listening to um, uh, our podcast. Who? He's Tremper Longman the Third. He's a oh, you're saying Trevor Lawrence for a second. Who is just like the jack of all trades of biblical scholarship. Like, he writes books on everything. Like, I would love to meet this guy. I so, picture, is it Tremper or Jack? Sorry, go ahead. Tremper. Um, jack of all trades. But he uh, he's like has so many books that like just get used all the time for people that are studying. Um, I had a uh, my Hebrew professor. Um, I, I quoted Longman in, in a paper once, and he said, "You know, it's fine to quote Longman, but." He literally writes stuff on everything. <laughs> so, yeah. like, he's not a specialist. Yeah, he's not like a specialist. Like, yeah, that sounds about like me. <laughs> you know, yeah. just doesn't really know anything about anything, but knows a little bit about everything. That's right. Actually, I, that's not we need me those at people. all. So, shout yeah, out I mean, to Tremper if you're listening, man. I appreciate I know your work. <laughs> a little bit about video games, and that's yeah, that's pretty much it. Man, that's a little about golf. A little about I, I act like I, ministry, I act like I know a little bit about golf, right. but um, no. Yeah, shout out to Longman, I guess, uh, and <laughs> shout out to Cheesecake. Um, so, <laughs> and shout out to Noah. Well, before we get to Noah, all right, fine, whatever. Shout out to the Nephilim. I just felt like that was a good transition, and then yeah. you screwed it all up. So Nephilim, well, let me chapter ask six. you. Shout out to the men that began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them. Okay, so let me let me ask you, what do you think the Nephilim are? I don't know, man. Nephilim. The, I mean, is there, uh, is this the giants? Is this the family of giants that the, I mean, I know this is the offspring of the angels and, and human, um, well, 
sons of God, but and uh, daughters of men, and had children by them. I think it's often interpreted the sons of God as, as angels. Depends. I, I don't. Okay. There's different interpretations. Well, so it. I would say, if you're asking me what I think, okay. I, I mean, I guess I would just say angels bearing children with uh, mortal human women. It depends on how you trans how how you understand verse two, the sons of God. That that phrase is often used to denote angels, to denote heavenly beings in Job, um, Job one six and two one. Whenever it says that the Satan approached mm-hmm. um, God, it, it says the sons of God were gathered mm-hmm. and Satan approached because he was and, escorted in. Yeah. It? So well, you know, a lot of people take that to mean that sons. When when the it, there's the only other time that it's really used in scripture is right here, sons of God. That phrase, yeah. like in this way, um, so a lot of people take it to mean that it's talking about angels here, but it's kind of ambiguous. Like we don't really know for sure if it's angels or not. There's a lot more people today that don't think that the Nephilim were um, the offspring of angels. That it was just um, it talking about. What, what God's creation, just like Adam was the son of God. He was yeah. created by God. So it's it's kind of like recapping on that. The sons of God saw that the daughters of mankind, like yeah. just kind of a, a so title. So what would Longman say here that the, <laughs> that, that the Hebrew word is for Nephilim and what it means? I don't know what Long would, Longman would say, but it's in, interesting. Um, Nephilim is really only used here. Yeah. Um, it's used again, and um, so it's used... In Scripture, it's used in Genesis six four, and it's used in Numbers thirteen, oh. <laughs> um, and both of them are in reference to this. And that's really all we have of this word. But it comes from. But that I mean, is that there? There would be an indication there, though, that this is something different than anything we have. In Possibly, scripture. but it's it's also like you got to think too that the people that are reading this or hearing this, like it's it would be like us saying giving a, a reference to. Um, um, Hail Dale. Like if I say Hail Dale, do you know who I'm talking about? I have literally no idea. Dale Earnhardt. Dale Earnhardt. Yeah. So if oh, did I said, you say Hail, yeah, Dale? Hail Dale. Okay. If I say that, I heard Hail every, Dale. Everyone and I was like, I don't in know. the country or anyone who I grew up know. knowing anything about NASCAR, you're going to know. Oh, he's talking about Dale Earnhardt. Yeah. It's the same kind of concept here. But you go you, two generations away. And, yeah, yeah. You reference yeah. the Nephilim at this time. Everyone's going, oh, okay, the Nephilim. Like yeah. it's it, but now it's lost to history. It's like, oh, who are the Nephilim? Who are the sons of God? And, and it's all up for interpretation. Mm-hmm. So it's different. the The word ne, ne, what I was saying, that word comes from the Hebrew word nefesh, which is the Hebrew word for soul. So you can also kind of just say that it's a bunch of souls. That it's nephilim. That that ending im is, is a plural, plural ending. So plural you're souls. it's like yeah. So there's not really any. Some people have so tried to say mean? that the Nephilim so, are it, a, a race of people right. or they're a nation of people, but it could also just mean that the people, the people that God created, were starting to produce. It's one of those passages of scripture that throughout history, it's it's so ambiguous that you can just interject a lot of your own yeah. thoughts and imaginations yeah. into and, it, and, and it has taken us in a thousand. It's different passed versions. down orally in generations, yeah. and then so, is recorded so I, in different languages. I've mentioned that that book before, that fiction book that I was that I work on, I'm like five chapters into and yeah. I really want to finish it because like, I think it would be such a cool book. Can I write the foreword for it? 
Yeah, if you want, but <laughs> I just like have no motivation to keep writing yeah. it because it's just man. Because you've got nothing else on your plate, right? You just, yeah. yeah, but it's like so much time. when you're writing a fiction or a, like a, a science fiction book, you got to make sure you're like getting all these facts right because people expect them to be right, and there's so much research, and it's just like. Man, this is a lot. I would be a but, terrible science fiction writer. <laughs> but it's I mean, like, I would immediately well be like kicked out of so, the community. But it's based off of the Nephilim and taking an interpretation that the Nephilim were um, people that God created that he then kicked out of his creation. Mm-hmm. And then it goes way into left field and saying that they go so, to a different planet. <laughs> I, just feel, I feel like science fiction, isn't the whole point of it, though, to be kind of out there? So why do you have to have facts correct? Is it because well, it has to be grounded in some it reality? It has to be grounded, yeah, in something. I mean, I mean are you going to read a science fiction I mean, that think says about, think two about, plus two is seven? Like, the thing I always like to think about in I mean, is think about fiction. how far George R. Martin went. To create this oh, world, yeah. gosh, who's that this? Game of Thrones, the the really? guy that wrote Song of Ice and Fire. I mean, he went. How many details he created <laughs> so that it, the story worked? He made like books of ancestry, yes, of like fake people and, and languages, and, like, and yeah. Just, and, and just so you know, that told the story like, would tie. A lot of that's made up, though, right? Like, it is. A lot of it, the, yeah, even but, the languages. So like. But but he has to ground like same thing with J.R.R. Tolkien. Like he invented Elvish, but he based Elvish on. Um, like Celtic yeah, he, and he like other created a language. Didn't he? he literally Stupid. created it, a language, it, it but a, he based it off a of lot other of research, languages. probably to yeah. get to that place to be able to create those things. Yeah. Is JRR like an abbreviation? Is it three names? You know, uh, I don't know that. I'm certain it is. I'm, yeah, I'm sure it is. So I the just, dude's got four names. I just always call him Tolkien. But Wait, it's a, a good guy, question. Right? Yeah, okay. he, he was. Him and, I mean, um, everyone knows Tolkien. I mean, yeah. I even know who that is. I would have loved... Yeah, Star Wars you guy. Know, <laughs> <laughs> C.S. <laughs> Lewis and Tolkien taught at Oxford at the same time, and they literally had a secret club called Inklings. I would have I would Oh, love, dude, there was a class uh-huh, at Johnson and, yeah, called that. And that I was what it was named could after, not, I guess. It's only taught once every four semesters, and I could not fit it in my schedule, and I was so mad. Uh, dude, I I you guys ready it. for my contribution to the podcast? Yeah, I was so disappointed I couldn't John take Ronald Rule Tolkin. John Ronald Rule. How do you spell No wonder he goes by J-R-R-R-E-U-E-L. So that may not even be Rule. I'm just guessing. Wow, that's a heck of a name. I would love to have a time machine and go in and sit in some of those secret Inklings meetings and just listen to what they said. I'm telling you what, if I had a time machine, that might be the last place I'd be. (laughs) Uh, You know, of all the places I could go, I mean, (laughs) whoo. I tell you, that would be, of all of the options, that would be on the list at some point. Anyway. We could go back to the flood, though. Yeah, we could find who are the Nephilim. That's true. <laughs> I don't. I personally don't think that they were offspring with angels, um, because any angels that we see leaving the throne room of God come into the presence of Satan. I, so I, I do feel I like it. I kind of more agree with you now that you've kind of talked about your position on it, because to me the fact that it's it's I mean it's really just kind of glossed over. Like there's not really like a like a yeah. lot of conversation about it. To me. It's one not super important of the nature of what they are, other yeah. than other than like there were these, as you said, souls. I mean, there was a group of yeah. souls, which indicates people, um, and so it probably is more likely that we're just humans. And the translation's a little odd. Yeah. Well, um, and it's it's really important too to note that like right before the Nephilim, we'll probably get a call from Longwin this week, and he'll be like, <laughs> "Hey, yeah, you're wrong, man. You're not even straight. close. Dude. <laughs> Don't worry. Um, Read my book called Nefesh." On, uh, <laughs> The um, right before the Nef- the Nephilim are mentioned in verse four, and at the end of verse three, it's it's talking about 
God says, my spirit will not remain with mankind forever because they are corrupt. Their days will be 120 years. And then it says, the Nephilim were on earth, Hmm. both in those days and afterward, when the sons of God came to the daughter of some mankind who bore children to them. They were powerful men of old, famous men. And so it's kind of the way I interpret it it is it's saying, you know, God's saying, listen, man's not going to live as long lives as they're living right now. But then the author is saying, but... This isn't happening yet because guys, the Nephilim are still alive. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, the Nephilim, the guys that live for 900 years, yeah. 800 years, mm-hmm. that were really big and strong. And, and everyone knows who the Nephilim are at the time that this is being written. So they're they're able to use this in inference kind of like a, a prehistory date, yeah. you know, a pre-primeval uh, history spot and, and know kind of abstractly where this was all taking place Mm. this isn't you know like we've said before this isn't meant to be something that we should pour over and say so did angels like make babies with women did like what 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 it's not really the point you know maybe they did i don't think they did yeah but the the literary point here is this is when it was happening everyone would hear the word nephilim that were they were on the earth at this time And everyone's like, oh, okay, so this is when this is all taking place. Yeah, I agree with your interpretation. I think it's a good interpretation. and Because he got it from Longman? Well, you know, <laughs> in full disclosure, really the only way I've ever heard this described was from Garrett, so I don't have any other <laughs> I mean, option to go. There's, yeah. there's another but guy. Um, we during, talked about it the other night in Bible study, yeah. but I think I'm, I'm with you guys. I think the point is if, if it's something that we were to know more about, then more information would have been given. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it it kind of just... It's like not one said. of those things we're meant to be hung right. up on. Exactly. I didn't get a chance to look at the Enduring Word Bible commentary. <laughs> so I'm sure it's got some really I'm, good content listen, there. Why are we even debating it? Just, I mean, we should just, just look read it up from and see what page. <laughs> um, right. So what is important, as Garrett said, as we move on, is, is man's wickedness. And that's what we see in the next passage here in verse 5. Uh, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved. I mean, it, just to hear this description, the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. And then if you think about that and the truth of what we've read in the past with Genesis 127, that God made, created man in his own image. And so then to, I say immediately, it's not really immediate, but to us it's five chapters. But over this period of time, God to then say he is grieved that he made his image. And, you know, he's, he is grieved that he had made this image bearer because every inclination of our heart was evil and his heart was filled with pain. Uh, and you just, that kind of that, the words there just kind of drip yeah. with. And that's the other point of this, these first four verses here in Nephilim that we talked about is it's not just giving us a time period, but it's showing how corrupted humanity is becoming. Like, now, you know, God's spirit's not even remaining with them. The sons of God are acting against God, whether you take that as angels or take that as the line of Seth, the line of Adam, you know. The the people that are supposed to be with God, they're, you know, yeah. revolting against God. Human wickedness. Because that first five there, God saw, the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth and every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time. So th- this is all setting... Now, we, we shouldn't look at the, what we have here about the Nephilim or um, anything else in these first eight verses as anything but setting the scene for Noah. Like, we have nine verses or eight verses of this world is crazy. Yeah. Like, everything's fallen to pot. Like, it's all in rough shape. 
And are we better than these people? Oh are? man, so that's a tough question. I don't know because that's the thing. We don't have details on how wicked it is. We just know that human wickedness was widespread on Earth and that every inclination was evil all the time. So I don't think we are because I wouldn't say that every inclination of the human mind is evil all the time. Yeah. But boy, evil's getting widespread, mm. and and the fact that it's creeping into the remnant of God's light that is supposed to be the church. That's that's what's worrisome to me. But I don't think it'll ever get this bad because the church is on earth. I don't think it'll ever get as bad as, you know, I, I think that's the point of the church, is we're supposed to bear the light. Yeah. Interesting. But, you know. It's a good, it's a fun question. It is. I, I mean. I agree. Because, I mean, I know there's that argument of like, well, we're not as bad as they were before the flood i mean but here's the thing they didn't have christ before the f- flood <laughs> right so we should <laughs> have very much of an never example. get to that point yeah. but the fact that we're like debating yeah. well, we're pretty bad uh, yeah well that's pretty sad yeah. <laughs> if, if oh, we're if we're spit those bars garrett dang right yeah. you know and, and something that's curious to that i think you know because in the eyes of in the eyes of the lord or in the eyes of god we're told that that sin is sin and i know that we can gauge it per, you know based upon our perceptions as sin being different yeah, levels yeah. or whatever but it's all rebellion against god it's what it's evil yeah it's evil mind. it's evil on on earth and in our minds and and you know apart from as as long as we call this earth home um you know it's going to be here so i guess you know i think in our human minds we can certainly gauge it and compare it well were we as bad as them or are we as bad as we are today or as we were back then or whatever but you know, I think it's important to, to note that in the eyes of God, you know, sin is is ultimately sin, and any yeah. rebellion against His yeah. word and His law, and that just points to the gospel that we ultimately get to, um, you know, in the New Testament. It just it starts yeah. early on in the book. Yeah. So the uh, account of Noah picks up here in nine, and uh, what better way to start it than what the NIV says is this is the account of Noah. So uh, it's pretty clear. Like here we go. This is this is the guy named Noah. Um, Noah was a righteous man. Statement one. Um, you hear, as Garrett said, you, the setup of the first eight verses was every inclination of every man's heart was evil. But then you get to Noah, and Noah was a righteous man. Um, what I often wonder, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries, was his sons, was his family. Mm. Do you th- we find out they're not really, but... Not to the same extent. Yeah. No. And, and you say that's kind of... We often wonder, well, God reset everything and, and started all through righteousness. How did sin come back? Well, because, you know, sin wasn't gone. Yeah. You know, evil wasn't gone just because God rebooted the world. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, even Noah, like, he he ultimately sinned. You yeah. Know, we see him sin as well. Yeah. Um, I don't, you know, Got I don't think turn. he... Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit. And uh, so, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know. I just... No, I mean, I think... I, if I was just reading the text, I would say that his sons weren't. I mean, yeah, I, I would agree. say that they they say it says scripture says no, it was right. Uh, I almost said righteous. I don't think that's the word righteous and blameless. I combined the two, um, and he walked with God. And then it just says Noah had three sons: Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So I think it would say Noah had three righteous sons. Also, you know, it would yeah. somehow indicate that they were also righteous. Um, and so we, again in verse eleven, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God says to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy, uh, to destroy both them and the earth. So 
Make yourself an arc of cypress wood. And he gets into like the descriptions of it. Um, cypress wood, huh? What does yours say? Go for it. wonder why yours says cypress. My, Are you an NIV? Yeah. My uh, footnote says the meaning of this Hebrew word is not certain. Mm-hmm. Well, see, my I have CSB, and because it doesn't have the meaning of the word for certain, it just transliterates. So the word that's you use there, make an arc out of the the Hebrew word is gopher. Hmm. Um, gopher, I guess, probably would be the way to pronounce it. But yeah. it interesting they they call it cypress wood. Yeah, I mean, the other option was, uh, you know. Not that it matters. It's, no. I just I've never realized that's how the NIV translates. Yeah. The other option was Wolverine wood, but yeah. different family. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, the point <laughs> here is Noah's not only just um, the best of the bad. Like it's not like uh, I'm, I'm going to pick the best there is and you know hope for the best. And, you know, Noah is righteous. You know, he knew God, and and God chose him because God he knew. God. Yeah, I think the key to that whole that whole passage, that whole section, is where it says that Noah walked with God. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it's, it's a conscious decision. Why was he righteous and blameless? Because he walked. Because with he God. walked with yeah. God. Right. Yeah. That doesn't mean that Noah probably didn't mess. Yeah. Up occasionally, yeah. Or, or things happen. Yeah. Um, but he walked with God. It was yeah. it was intentional. It's amazing how that's how God signifies things. It's not like uh, God recognizes because of sin that we all mess up, and and to be in his eyes, to be blameless and righteous isn't about the fact that I never make mistakes. Exactly. And you know, look at Abraham. Abraham counted, yep. or God counted Abraham as righteous because God, Abraham believed God. Yep. He had faith in God. Noah clearly wasn't, like, blameless. Well, I mean, yeah, I think he mess, you could almost mistakes. say... Do I walk with God? Do I believe God? Do I trust God? Do I give him my unwavering, unwavering love? Yeah, I think the first step of walking with God is knowing that you... Can't yeah. slash don't yeah. deserve it. I agree with because I mean that's 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 it right there. If you if you think you've got it, you're a Pharisee. In fact, mm. you know it's almost uh, all of our main Bible characters are like that. You know, think about David. Uh, he was called a, a man after God's own heart. But look how many times. Yeah. I, mean, I mean that he dude was troubled. Stuff. And uh, in the chosen in season two, they uh, talk about David. John the Baptist and Jesus are like talking, and there's like a discussion about David. And it's really fascinating to hear John the Baptist talk about. He's like, I mean. David had a woman laying in his bed when he died. I mean, and yeah. Jesus is like, we all. He, she was there to comfort him. It was not, you know. There's <laughs> like a, there's like an interaction there, yeah. of, and almost actually kind of what you said, Garrett. Like, there's almost like a understanding of like righteous and blameless does not mean sinless. Yeah, because yeah. we can't be sin. I mean, it's almost like it's well, duh, you can't be sinless. Right. No one is. Well, righteous and blameless in God's eyes means you're made righteous. Right. Is yeah. do yeah. I have faith that God is going to cover right. me? Blameless is, am I walking with God constantly right. even though yeah. I'm falling? Right. Yeah. Like, and so, I mean, he, like, am I David's trusting a good that he's going to be the one? You know, I think of it like blameless walking with God is, you remember when you're a kid and your parents would hold each of your hands and they'd like swing you step by step? Yeah. That's what, you know, that's what I picture happening when you're walking with God because you can't physically walk. Mine so did he's it. swinging you step yeah. by step. Mine would do it by my ankles. But other than that, it's about the <laughs> Let explain so So, much. so then we get into, yeah. So then we get into, like, we won't read through it, um, but there's five or six verses. Garrett might point something out that he wants, but four or five <laughs> verses there of, like, very specific descriptions about the Ark, which is which is pretty cool because you get some, like, That's actual... the one thing about the Ark Museum. or what, What's that museum there? It's called the Ark Encounter. Yeah, the, the Ark Encounter. Yeah. It's Man, near the Creation Museum. Like, Same guy. You get to actually, like, sure. see, yeah. they, they see the, the dimensions. Yeah, they have the well. dimensions based on the translations yeah. to... 
feet and yeah. things that we know outside of whatever. What is it? What are the cubits? Is that yeah, what the cubits, measurements say? Yeah. Um, so then in verse, um, let's see, 17, I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth and destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature has the breath of life in it, in it. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. Uh, and then he gives them the instructions to take um, the animals, two of every kind, bird, animal, and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come with you. Um, take every kind of food that is to be eaten and stored away as food for you and for them. But they're in, right in the middle there in 17 and 18. He gives that um, foreshadowing to the covenant and saying, I'm going to establish my covenant with you. Um, and we see that phrase kind of come through again with Abraham and with Moses and uh, and even with David. We see these covenants that, that God says, I'm going to establish my covenant with you, or uh, the covenant will have a covenant together. Um, and that covenant is, to us, is kind of a word we might just kind of like, ah, cool, yeah, I promise, yeah. pinky promise. Like this covenant is culturally, in context, is way more than just a like handshake agreement. Um, we get to actually see that with, what, what, is it Abraham? That the yeah, yeah, with the passing through of the yeah. animals. That's yeah, how I mean, it, just like God cut the, animals in yeah. half. Well, that's the phrase, you cut a covenant. Yeah. That, that's the phraseology. Um, uh, an interesting point of note in this passage, too, is this flood wasn't about just killing off the bad. Like, mm. it's not like cutting out the infection. Yeah. Um, it's part of that, you know. People are dying because you know, God is is cutting out the infection, but that's not simply what it is. There, there's a word that is used um, in order to describe the flood. The, the word is uh, mabul. Um, I want to verify that. That's for sure. what you eat soup out of, isn't it? Um, yeah. <laughs> the bowl, M- my bowl, <laughs> my bowl. Yeah. That's not yours. Um, Actually, I prefer ice cream. But anyway, but that that word is it, it. It designates something more than simply like rising waters, or it, it's not just simply about you know it, if you wouldn't use this word to describe like the Jordan River flooding in the spring. Hmm. Um, it, it's a different. Cleansing? It, it kind of denotes more. There's there's some. Um, Scholars that would say that it, it's more denoting reference back to the waters above the firmament, you know, in, mm-hmm. in the original of the creation account where you have the separation of waters and stuff like that, which, you know, from a scientific perspective, we know that space isn't filled with water, but it's more of a imagery I mean, perspective. Have you, have you been there? <laughs> We, we we get outside of of the atmosphere and we just start floating in water. <laughs> the Priceline slash Star Trek dude has been there. Yeah, yeah. I can't think of his name. William Shatner. Yeah, yes, that guy. William Shatner. He just went he just went like to space. Ninety years. Yeah. Old. yeah, he went with old Jeff. Old Jeffrey Bezos. I mean, ended up in space. Can you yeah, imagine really thought, being like, that old and going? I to thought space? like the That'd physicals awesome. like would be like a like actual like you, you know you had to like I even thought, right. like I don't really know if I would pass that. Physical. But here's the thing. But if a ninety year old is getting it, but I here's mean, the thing. Well, think like, about the, how much the dude money he starred is. in Star Trek for years and years and years, and the dude's probably loaded rich. So if there's anybody that can fudge the, fudge well, it's the it's physicals kind of like, to go you, into space, I'm sure it's. Although if I was ninety, I probably wouldn't be too concerned. Like yeah, like if he goes like. I think the ultimate ending for him would be to just... It's like that... For that dude, I died in space. The Star Trek, I mean... Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Star like, Trek star. Like, <laughs> like if, if he didn't come back... He would probably he, hoped would, he would. Would anybody... You know, he probably thought, this would be a really cool like, legacy. Right, like, right? this is it for me. You know, I, 
space made me. Here we go. Just open the door and so let me float the, off into the abyss. So there's the picture of him and Jeff when he gets back, and there's kind of like a – you think he was telling Jeff, like, you idiot. You're so <laughs> supposed to die up there. Like, you know, <laughs> yes. You screwed like, it all why up. Why did you bring me back? So I'm going every week until I die. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I picture the – you know that – scene in Bad News Bears where the old guy gives him a, the umpire 20 and says, yeah. my birth certificate, yeah. I'm 10. No, it's <laughs> Bench warmers. Cram- I'm, bench warmers. I'm, I'm, 12. Exactly I'm 12. Yeah. I'm 12. Yeah. And he's drunk? Yeah. And he's yeah. just throwing gas to like 12-year-olds? Yeah. yeah. I'm 12. It's in crown. And it's got a picture of him as an adult in there. I mean, it's not even yeah. like... That's right. here's, an, yeah. uh, here's a grand and an autographed picture of Captain Kirk. And- yeah. Yeah. Is that who he was? Was he Captain Kirk? Yeah, he was Captain yeah. Kirk so in the original it, so. Star Trek. Star Sorry, Star my Trek. father-in-law was a huge Star Trek fan, but I've never seen it. Anyway, that word that's used in Flood, it's denoting a divine proclamation. It's not just God you know, saw a bunch of bad people and said, I'm giving you the death well, it's sentence. it's rain for a long time. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's, I'm sovereign. You're destroying my creation. I'm executing divine judgment against you. This isn't just, you know creation acting against itself it, this isn't global warming causing a massive flood to come over the earth this is god acting in judgment against people to clearly denote to the people of the time that, yeah that this this is isn't not a natural a disaster event. yeah this, this is, is not a natural disaster if it was yeah. theoretically there would be a different words used to denote flood right yeah. this word used is clearly signifying something more yeah and then um we, we pick up in verse 22. It's not in chapter 7, but right before, uh, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. We get that again in verse 5. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Uh, in verses like 1 through 4 of, of chapter 7, um, he commands Noah to go into the ark and to you know bring the animals, um, seven of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and two of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate. And then uh, the same with birds. Um, and then he goes on and, and, you know, again confirms, seven days from now we'll send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and I will wipe uh, from the face of the earth every every living creature I have uh, I have made. And then Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on earth. Um, and so it kind of goes through that the process. Noah and his son's wives uh, enter the ark to escape the waters of the flood. And then in verse 10, and after the seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth. If I had a time machine, I think I would go back and sit right on top of the ark for those seven days and just... Watch it rain. Yeah. Well, no, the, the seven days like of waiting for Leading up to yeah. Oh, watch. And just sitting there like, so, <laughs> I mean, you built this ark. I mean, you know people would have been there. Oh, been mocking, like, you, you know, idiot. just saying like, why, yeah. you know. Because, I mean, you know people are evil, right? Every inclination of the Throwing rocks Throwing tomatoes evil. at the ark. Yeah, and, and then, you know, the gongs, them. the big rock dudes coming out of the woods. And Oh, sorry. That's the movie. I get confused. <laughs> Do you um, remember watching that movie in college? Yeah. I, didn't, I don't out? know that I went with you all, but I've seen it since then. There was um, so Don't many watch it for theology. Yeah. Because it's not. Well, they take a bunch of... And, and that's <laughs> the crazy thing about the flood is Bible's not the only place that the flood yeah. is recounted. The epic of Gilgamesh, Assyrian epics, Egyptian epics, like there's so many historical primeval history documents um, from multiple cultures that recount th- a great flood. Mm-hmm. So if this, you know, this is a historical event. Um, but Scripture is the one that really emphasizes this wasn't just like a natural disaster. Yeah. This was, yeah, um, and it wasn't because you know other cultures say that the gods brought it on, but 
in other cultures, the gods bring on every weather event. Mm. This scripture says, no, God brought this on because mm-hmm. God is not happy. He's yeah. bringing judgment. And um, it's amazing to know that this story, this historical event spread from cultures. You know, you think about it, Noah's kids, Sham, Ham, and Japheth, when they spread out, what what do you what do you tell your kids? Well, we're alive because we're in a giant yeah. boat floating around, and yeah. but over time that story starts to shift. The heroes of the story change. Your great grandfather's the hero of the story, not your great grandfather's dad, hmm. and so things shift in the story. Yeah, and 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 I mean it was it was all essentially oral traditions yeah. that were just passed, passed down, down. For, thou- for so long, and I mean of course things are going to get twisted and changed, and yeah. that's why you know I. When you read it from scripture standpoint, who's the hero? It's not Noah. Yeah. It's not Sham, Ham, and Japheth. It's God. And you know, Noah just listened to the hero. Yeah. And so it's a different We're going to see who the hero is. The one who comes back with the, the branch. <laughs> the bird. <laughs> bird, um, bird, bird. So bird bur- uh, <laughs> I just said bird in my head. Um, so as we go through chapter 7, um, you just kind of see, well, the first thing I'll read is the account. Um, in the 600th year of Noah's life, is verse 11. On the seventh, uh, 17th day of the second month, on that do you, are they using the Gregorian calendar there? I don't do you, know. Probably yeah. not. On They're, the old Pope, old Pope Gregory's calendar? On that the, day, uh, all the Hebrew sp- calendars were lunar, lunar based gotcha. off of moon. Based on that day, on all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were open, and rain fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. And then, so you just get the account through the next... Uh, 15 verses or so, 10, 11 verses or so uh, of the water, and there's descriptions of, of you know, uh, of the livestock on, on the boat and, and the pairs of them, and 40 days the flood kept coming on the earth. And then we get to just an indication here of, in verse 20, the waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 20 feet. Um, so, I mean, everything's covered significantly. I mean, this yeah. is this is plenty of covering, and that there's that's... Why I believe the indication of that of that depth is given, yeah, to give you yeah. an idea of like everything's covered, yeah, and birds died, and how did birds die? Well, they had nothing to land on, so eventually they're you know, yeah, I guess they get tired. Yeah, of I think it's I think it's making a making yeah. a point there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so I mean, you you're talking tallest mountain, which do we know? I guess for in their area, I mean, this would, but we know now is what it's not Everest, it's the the one in the middle of the ocean. Huh? What are you talking about? The tallest yeah. mountain. Uh, the tallest mountain, like I don't know what the above sea level. Yeah, let me see what um, I can do for you guys. I know it. It's 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 not it's not is it's it Mount not Kilimanjaro. Kilimanjaro is what I was thinking, but I don't know if that's right. Anyway, but we know the tallest mountain was covered by twenty feet. So I mean, there was a significant like it was all covered, um, and it was that's all all we that's all that's really important is it was all covered. I don't think it's Kilimanjaro. I think it's that Mount it's Everest. F5 or whatever. F- Mount Everest is F- the highest point is, on Earth. Is the highest point on Earth. But oh. but there's uh, there's a, a mountain in the middle of the sea that is technically taller, but it's half the part of the mountain is under sea level. Hmm. But I can't think of what mountain that is. Okay. Well, that would be a very important indication to give tallest point or tallest mountain. Yeah. I, guess that, I didn't realize that was two different things. Mount Mount Kia, Mount Mo- Mauna Kia in Hawaii. <laughs> One more time. What was it? M- Mauna, Mona, M-A-U-N-A. The Mona Lisa? That's a painting. Yeah. Mauna Kia. Know, so, but we get that indication, uh, and then everything dies, 
And then at the end of chapter 7, verse 24, the waters, um, only Noah was left and those of them in the ark. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. Um, and the, the indication of verse 8, this is my favorite word in the Bible. It comes at very, very pivotal points. But, that's with one T, B-U-T. It's one of the greatest words. Um, it's a word of hope. But it says, but God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and livestock and, and all those that were on the ark. Um and the waters were receded. So we get that, um, this account. Here's the flood. There's more description there that you should read um, for yourself and go through that. I mean, it, there's some more details of, of like the animals and things like that as far as to show, um, kind of give you more uh, context as to what is going on. But ultimately, the flood happened. We gave you the time frames of the flood, and, and all that remained were the ones that God remembered. Um, the Noah and those that were on the ark with him. That gets us into chapter 8. I was, but then I uh, forgot what I was about to say. That's what we call a pregnant pause, folks. Pregnant pause <laughs> in yeah. preaching where you just let the, let the words sit a little bit. Yeah. Um, what I was going to talk about was, I was trying to remember where it was, where God closed the... Um, the ark. We we went through that so quick. I lost. Where God where closed what the ark? The the door to the ark. Um. Yeah, I skip. I probably skipped through that. Uh, I thought it was seven eight, but I don't see it there. No, that's not right. Anyway, there there's a. a that's probably in the NLT translation. Maybe it's eight four. Uh, I I can't remember. Yeah. There well, there's a there's a verse where. Oh, no, there it is, 8-1. That's what it was. Um, we're about to start it. Um, so the the word ruach is the word for spirit, um, and it's used almost... There, there's another word that is used some, too, to denote the spirit of God, but ruach is, is used more. Um, it's really interesting in verse 8, it says God remembered Noah as well as all the wildlife and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. God caused a ruach to pass over the the earth. So we translate that wind, mm-hmm. um, but that word is is spirit, and and it's almost like God has looked at His judgment. He has looked at the destruction. He has looked at the wickedness that has been wiped out. And now his spirit has passed back over the earth. Now remember, to the creation account, what was happening before God created? The spirit was hovering over the, over the sur- surface of the deep. And so it's now like, okay, everything has been destroyed. Everything has been, all wickedness has been wiped out. So my spirit's hovering again. It's wiping over. God causes a wind. God causes his spirit to pass over the earth and the water begins to subside, and everything begins now to recreate um, in that sense. And, and so the imagery here is is meant to show this kind of divine restoration. God has passed his judgment over the unrighteousness and wickedness, and now he's recreating um, you know, through, through everything receding, through the chaos, through the watery depths falling away. And, and that's another interest, too, um, that term watery depths within Hebrew 
watery depths, oceans, those were places where evil dwelled. Um, two, mm. The two most common places of evil's dwelling within a Jewish mindset were the ocean, the watery depths, and major cities. Like those, those were the two places where wickedness and evil remained or, or lived. And so the fact that the sources of the watery depths and the floodgates of the sky were closed, the rain stopped, everything receded, the water steadily receded from the earth. It's like this language that's saying, okay, the darkness, the chaos, the evil, it's being pulled away. God's now, um, you know, he's, his judgment is over and things are about to come back mm-hmm. into circle, into recreation. Yeah, so chapter 8, we kind of get the account of the process of getting back in the earth um, and uh, going, getting out of the ark. And so uh, the water, um, the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed and the rain stopped and the water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the water had gone down. On the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on Mount Ar- Ararat. Say that five Mount times. Mount Ararat. Um, on the Mount Rat, the waters continued to recede until the 10th month. And on the first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains became visible. So um, after 40 days, Noah opened this window that he made in the ark and sent out a raven and it kept flying but found nothing. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground, but the dove could find no place to set its feet because the water still covered the surface. And so he waited seven more days and then sent the dove out again. The dove returned in the evening, and it had plucked an olive leaf. So that told Noah that there was um, the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days, sent the dove out again, uh, but this time it did not re- return to him, given an indication of that there was enough, at least trees, that it could move mm-hmm. around and hang out. So here's my thought. If he had a window, why didn't he just look out the window? <laughs> Say so there was a porch on it. There is a portico or something, isn't? Wasn't there? What didn't it say? Porter potty. <laughs> portico. I don't know what that is. Um, like a roofed area with open sides. But that's what I'm saying. Is like, why did he send out? Is it were they so high in the mountain they couldn't see? Possibly. Well, I think the point is that it's looking out to see if there's anywhere that there was greenery. Right. Like if there yeah. was possibility for food. Yeah. Because it, it's and, likely like. He didn't want to open it up to send the animals out because they were better off staying inside and fending for themselves. That's what I'm saying. I mean, it can be not assumed said. that they probably came to rest at a very high point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine that? Why don't we get any account of him coming down the mountain? Well, you know, I don't know. But <laughs> Dude. he's probably at this very high place. And if you know like anything about that, be fog that there's probably, there's, you know, for, we were just in the mountains you know, a couple months ago. And like from halfway up, I mean, there was nothing. It was yeah. desolate. I mean, yeah. they're so high. Yeah. So, you know, maybe yeah. they couldn't see anything point. from that. I think, I think the more, the, the bigger emphasis is like everything has receded. This was a, an all destructive flood. And Noah's like, well, is there even anything out there to eat? Mm. Like, yeah. Should I open this up and let them go out and starve? Or should I just keep, you know, feeding them whatever we have in right. here? Yeah. Because if once That's he true. lets them out, they're gone. It's Why don't he like just he use his binoculars? Yeah. I don't yeah. I mean, I mean, I feel like he could have just, just tracking pulled out his iPhone and zoomed in. Yeah. <laughs> Have you all heard all the different stories of different people that have claimed to have found parts of the ark? Yes, I've, I've, they're doing that right now, aren't they? Didn't they do a dig like last few months that they said they found? Well, they think they, they found they more. All, of it? They're always finding something, apparently. Yeah. But, but that's what I'm saying. It's, it's pretty. It's pretty common 
um, commonly assumed that the place is Armenia, um, like a do you think location we, in Iran. Do you think we can find the Ark, or do you think we found pieces of it? Not like the whole Ark, but... Would some I of think those it's possible. I, pieces of gopher wood or would be, wolverine wood being fossilized? Uh, it, it, yeah, it would have to be fossilized. I don't, yeah. You're not going to find it all intact, I don't think. No, but yeah. there would be no reason. It's not like there. the Ark of the Covenant where right. we're not meant to find it. Sure. Yeah. You know, but I, you know, it takes some. Th- that's the thing too. This is prehistory. It's yeah. not like it, they're they are they have just ascertained with certainty that they have found Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, they'd started to dig back in two thousand one. There's a guy that went against whatever what the common knowledge of where they Did assumed they Sodom and Gomorrah was. No, <laughs> they where they assumed Sodom and Gomorrah was, and this guy said, you know. This doesn't fit biblical evidence. I'm going to go to where biblical evidence was, and he searched and searched and searched, and he finally, and he started to dig, and he started finding evidence and more evidence and more evidence. It's so fascinating. And he's found enough me. evidence like, now. What are you he's, even finding? He's dug down deep enough. Well, that's what I was going to say. He's for he's dug down deep enough to conclude that he has for certain found Sodom and Gomorrah. Because here's here's what's interesting. There's a gap in the history where he has gone down far enough to see where this civilization was lush and and thriving yeah and then 500 years passed and nothing and then all of a sudden it picked back up again so why would why would a, a beautiful piece of land yep. sit unused for 500 straight years because everyone in the area knew there was some some crazy stuff that went down yeah. and we're not going to we're not going to go there Our- so but they just with confidence with absolute confidence found so- sodom and gomorrah and Sodom and Gomorrah probably is like 4,000 years, a whole city, probably 4,000 years later. later. I mean, this is an ark that is biodegradable. (laughs) I mean, it's going to be a lot harder. Archaeology is incredible. And I mean, I think it's so cool. Some of the things, some of the way that the things we read about in the Bible are backed up by what we found. That's, and that's what the thing is. That, gosh, what I, I just Longman. sat down and read this article. <laughs> <Bless him off. laughs> <laughs> I cannot think of the guy, the, the guy that, that found it. Um, but like, so if you know anything about the history of Sodom and Gomorrah in the twenties, in the 1920s, there was a consensus of like really the premier biblical archeologist, the first really biblical archeologist said, this is where Sodom and Gomorrah is of the Bible. And everyone just said, okay, we'll, we'll believe you. Like, yeah. didn't have a ton of evidence. And this guy finally looked at Scripture and was like, well, that's not what Scripture says it's at. And so he finally started looking at Scripture and looking at research based off of where Scripture is. And, and his knowledge of Scripture and his trust in Scripture was what led him to start digging where Scripture said to dig. Right. And lo and behold, he found a lot of evidence, substantial evidence, that now the entire community that for almost 100 years believed this other guy has come to say, okay, yeah, you're definitely right, because he's found enough evidence to convince secular people that the Bible yeah. is... Con- like, I, I read an article a couple uh, year or two ago. Just It's very recent. Like They found this... In this archaeological dig in Bethsaida or somewhere like where um, Peter was supposedly from, and they found this church that was supposedly built over the top of Peter's home, hmm. and like they kept going down and kept finding these things, and like they, yeah. there's all kinds of evidence that That's Peter crazy. lived in that place, and there was a church and, built there because of it, it was his home. And we don't recognize it because in America we're so our our history is so short. Like we don't recognize that in 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 
the rest yeah, of the world, everything that's is so point. ancient. You don't just like move on and go somewhere else. You build on top. Yeah. And so you can have a house here that a thousand years ago, there was another house that's there. Exactly a thousand right. years before that, there was uh, something else there. Like, And they just build on top of it. And so what you have are what are called tells or talls um, in, in the in the um, culture or in the in the indigenous language that just basically mean a giant mound. And in those giant mounds are literally 50,000 years of history. You just have to keep digging and digging yeah. and digging because people didn't leave. They just built on top of what was already there. But yeah, that doesn't really fit our our mindset in America because that... What, we got 300 years of history. Yeah. <laughs> There's an Indian mound in Montgomery County. But see, that's the di- Indian mounds were based off of burial sites yeah like they would just bury people on top of each other yeah but the mounds that i'm talking about entire cities would be built on top of each other and it would just keep mounding higher and higher and eventually you'd have this giant place that you now have to dig down into the city to find remnants of a city from 2000 years prior because they just do you think every time that they like strike dirt the archaeologists i mean are just like puckered just to hit something that they're not supposed to hit i mean I mean, I'm sure there's more technology than just like, eh, I'll the, start in the here. Middle East, <laughs> like that, that's in why places where there's thousands and thousands yeah. of years of history, and like that, you don't know. And there's so many people like, why don't they just dig everywhere? And well, that's the thing. Like Jerusalem and Israel, there's people still living there. Yeah. You can't just go in and say, I'm digging in your house to go find what's, what's underneath below, your house yeah. because someone's there. Hey. So there's a lot of limitations. They want to dig in mine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. <laughs> We've already got a soft spot in the corner of the bedroom. It'd be a good place to start. You just go there and go right through pretty easily. So, um, yeah. So the rest of forty or forty-eight. I don't. We all right. Genesis forty-eight. We're gonna move forward. <laughs> Joseph, it. maybe. Joseph. I don't know. Yeah, Jacob coming yeah. entering into Egypt. So I mean, golly, I think I fell asleep for a second. So Genesis eight. <laughs> Um, chapter 8, it kind of continues, and, and then uh, God says to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives, and then bring out all the creatures um, with you. Be fruitful and increase um, uh, in number upon it. And then it goes through, and Noah, they get off the off the ark, and Noah builds an altar to the Lord. Um, with some of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. That's chapter 8. That leads us into chapter 9. We'll have a little commentary about that, but leads us into chapter 9 with uh, God's covenant. We see the um, uh, God's covenant with Noah, the sign of the covenant, which everyone is familiar with, whether you know it or not. Um, and then uh, kind of moves forward into chapters 10 and 11 with, with moving forward from uh, kind of the repopulation of the earth and the new, the new nations. Yeah, so the, and, and it's important to note this verse here, 21, when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, he said to himself. Anthropomorphism. Yeah, it is anthropomorphism. Nice. You like that? Good catch. I read that on the Enduring Word Bible. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was uh, old Jody O that taught me yeah. that. Anthropomorphism, giving human attributes to God. Um, And that that phrase is is often used to show adequate atonement or adequate um, covering. Like God smelled the pleasing aroma. God, God was willing to 
make acceptance, to make allowance, to make, you know, to listen, to hear. Um, that, that's a common phrase that is used. And so, you know, after everything is said and done, God looks at Noah, God looks at this worship that Noah's giving to God in spite of all the destruction that God has done and God knows commitment to God. And God says, okay, uh, let's move forward in our relationship. Accepted. Yeah. And then here's the covenant. That's where we get to next week. Mm-hmm. Any closing thoughts, Dustin? I just think it's, uh, it's incredibly interesting stuff. And the, the big idea is it just, uh, it all points us back to, to, to what matters most that 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 we have that we have Jesus uh, ultimately to cover up yeah. all the mess we've created. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, all you got to do is look to Him. Right. Yeah. Points back and then points He's forward. He's the pleasing aroma. Yeah. yeah. And then this points forward. Yeah, that pleasing mm-hmm. aroma is, is uh, also kind of a type of of the Jesus, uh, the the perfect sacrifice, the Messiah to come yeah. in the future. Um, and so, yeah, all of Scripture is you you know. Um, may not know or may not really process, all of Scripture points to Jesus. I mean, yeah. from the beginning, Genesis 1, we talked about, you know, it, uh, the Word. And it talks about the, um, the uh, uh, you know, the Word is Jesus, and then it points to Jesus all through the Old Testament. It's constantly pointing to Jesus. All of the covenants with all of the different people um, are involved with Jesus. And, and, you know, and then you get to, obviously, the accounts of Jesus, and then all the New Testament is about Jesus and what we... Mm are called to do from what he has done for us. So um, that's the whole, the whole word of God is, is pointing to the word himself. So yeah, it's good stuff, man. Um, go on over to, you know, Middle East and start digging, yeah. get to work. Um, yeah. Go look into uh, Northern Iran. Yeah. Go see if for, you can find the ark. Yeah. Go to Mount Rat and uh, see if you can find it. <laughs> yeah. rot. I don't know. I like Ararat. Feels more Russell County to me. It's my story, okay. and I'm sticking with it. Hey, thanks for being here on the podcast, Dustin. Thank you again for joining Absolutely. us. Looking Enjoy forward it, to the next time, which maybe next week. But we're looking forward <laughs> to uh, seeing you guys on the next episode, closing out this uh, beginning of Genesis. Maybe and, we'll have a new dad here with yeah. us. Yeah, we'll be Garrett. You're outnumbered now. Yeah, yeah. coming soon. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy, man. Time flies when you're having kids, so they say. <laughs> All right. Like bunnies. Right. All right. Well, thanks <laughs> for joining us on the podcast. What a way to close it. And since you did that, Garrett, why don't you close some prayer? <laughs> Father God, thank you for this time that we got to study your word, for any impact that it's had on us, and for the all that we have of you. God, I pray that as Christians we never lose sight of that, and we're always amazed by your word, thankful for who you are, and that we strive to love you to please you and to accept Christ as the pleasing aroma that that satisfies the sin that separates us from you. Thank you, God, for your love and for your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.